Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So wonderful to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have got a wondrous item. If you'll notice over here on the shelf, it is a, a glass container topped with a very decorative lid. It's full of a preserving liquid, and in this jar being preserved, it is a human heart. Now, we will not take this off the shelf. I will not remove the lid. The smell of formaldehyde may overwhelm us both. But if you take a look, you'll see this heart lying still. But maybe out of the corner of your eye, maybe when you're not quite looking, you may still see this heart beat. Oh, this heart has a tale to tell, and it's not too dissimilar to the tale we're going to talk about on today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new Netflix film, The Pale Blue Eye. Now, The Pale Blue Eye is one of those movies on Netflix. As soon as I heard about it coming out, I was looking forward to this because, one, it is directed by Scott Cooper. And I've been a real big fan of Scott Cooper's over the years. Of course, he's done uh, one of my favorite movies of 2021, Antlers. Uh, I know some people love it. Some people hate it. I happen to be one of those people that loved it. I thought it was maybe not a an exact adaptation of the story it was based on, but I thought it was a good adaptation because it took the original story and just kind of expanded the world and expanded the story. And, and I really enjoyed Antlers back in 2021. So when I found out he was doing uh, this movie, The Pale Blue Eye, I thought, okay, uh, I'm already in. Uh, he wrote it, uh, did the screenplay, he directed it, and of course it is based off a 2003 Louis Bayard novel of the same name. So we're going to kind of talk about how the movie relates to the book as we, we talk about this, but you know, it's a book about kind of like historical fiction. It's a book about Edgar Allan Poe's time in the military academy at West Point. Uh, we saw a movie last year called uh, Raven's Hollow on Shudder, a Shudder original that kind of delved into the same story territory. Now, uh, that was a little bit lower budget, and it was a little more of creature feature than what we saw with Pale Blue Eyes. So while they both deal with very similar times in Poe's history, uh, two very different stories. But uh, as much as I liked Raven's Hollow, I think I equally liked this telling of Edgar Allan Poe's time in the military with this story, but for two completely different reasons. And, and we'll talk about that as we as we go on with this. But much like Raven's Hollow, uh, this is a story that really kind of sets the table for what Poe would become later. Uh, in this, we see a lot of things that would inspire Poe to write some of his famous stories, much like in Raven's Hollow. We saw a lot of things in that that uh, would supposedly inspire Poe uh, to to write some of his famous things, most uh, most especially the, the Raven uh, in that movie. But in this movie, it delves into a lot of other stories that, that may have had influence from the events of this fictional story. 
And that's another thing I kind of liked about this, much like I liked uh, Raven's Hollow uh, for that. I, I liked how you got a lot of references to, uh, I think, a Telltale Heart, probably the biggest reference in this. But Pitting the Pendulum, you get little notes of the Raven in this as well. Poe has this... Well, we'll talk about it a little more in depth, but there's something that happens that causes him to recite lines of poetry that he's made up. And and some of those lines delve into some of the subject matter of his other stories. Uh, the mention of a pale blue eye is kind of a reference to what happens in Telltale Heart. There's a reference to Lenore. So, you know, you got ties to the raven in some of these lines of poetry that he he comes up with and and we'll talk about the inspiration for that uh, within the confines of this movie a little bit later as we talk about the character so why don't we dive into that i'm going to tell you right off the bat there are going to be spoilers i can't talk about this movie without talking about spoilers this isn't so much a review as it is just me talking about the things i liked and didn't like about this film so if you haven't seen the pale blue eye Go check it out on Netflix and then come back and listen. If you've already watched it or you don't care about spoilers or you're like, I wasn't going to watch it anyway, but I want to hear what it was about, then then keep on hanging on with me. And now uh, we'll talk about this uh, very interesting, uh, long but interesting movie. So the basic premise that kicks this all off, this takes place in 1830 at West Point. And you have a retired detective, Augustus Landor, played by Christian Bale. Uh, we'll talk about the character and Bale's performance a little later. But he's asked to come to West Point to investigate a murder. Uh, somebody has been hanged. And after they've been hanged, and while their body is in the morgue, if you will, uh, he's uh, this character has had his heart cut out, Leroy Fry. And Augustus Landor has been called to investigate this. He's a renowned investigator that's fallen on difficult times and kind of maybe hasn't tarnished his, well, yeah, probably he's tarnished his reputation. Uh, so he's not working as a constable or an investigator much these days, but his renown has, has made the leaders of West Point come to him to try and figure this out, figure out what's happening uh, before the West Point name is tarnished. And while he is at West Point uh, investigating this murder, he comes across a young Edgar Allan Poe. They strike up a, a rapport, even into a, a bit of a friendship, and Poe is helping uh, Landor investigate this murder on the campus of West Point. And speaking of campuses, uh, I will talk about this a little more in depth later on, but this movie was filmed at a college campus, Westminster College, uh, just probably about 45 minutes, uh, 40, 45 minutes south of where I live. I've actually been there uh, once upon a time, and it, it was really kind of cool to see all these locations here in Western Pennsylvania that, that I've been to, and I, I'm so familiar with to see them show up in this movie. And like I said, we'll delve into that a little bit more uh, a little later on. So taking a look at this movie, kind of through the lens of the characters, we're going to go down the list of, I'm not going to talk about every single character, but we're going to talk about some of the some of the main characters, especially the, the two main characters characters christian bale is augustus landor and like i said he is kind of a not a dis, maybe you could say disgraced but a uh, a tarnished detective he's 
I've heard him described as world weary. He does look like a, a weary. He's just had the weight of the world on his shoulders. And, and we find out that he has a daughter who's gone missing and that his weight on him, his wife is long since dead and he's, he can't find his daughter. We find out that that is, uh, that's taken a heavy toll on him. Uh, he's taken to alcohol, although they don't play into the alcoholism terribly much in this it is mentioned from time to time that he he's not supposed to be drinking while on this investigation and he does anyway but in an interesting scene i think it's the first bar scene that we see edgar Allan poe and and augustus landor kind of meet for the first time i think that's a bar scene the now senator of pennsylvania john fetterman and i believe his wife were both extras in that scene i didn't find this out until after the fact so now i've got to go back and watch the movie again to see if i can point them out but uh, it was kind of an interesting little tidbit i found out after the fact but uh, augustus landor is uh, a good detective he's very smart uh, there are times when he is letting Edgar Allan Poe uh, figure things out on his own. And when Poe figures it out, uh, he finds out that maybe he wasn't quite exactly right because uh, Landor knows it and he had figured it out long before he ever asked Poe to see what his thoughts were. So a very smart, like I said, a very world-wise albeit world-weary and world-wise man. But I, I really like this character because he is kind of your quintessential damaged hero. And he is a guy that you look to him as the protagonist. You look to him to save the day. But you know he's, you know, he's doing it in spite of all the slings and arrows that have come his way in in recent past and i think christian bale really plays that well he plays the the damaged goods he plays the guy that uh, or the hero that maybe is a reluctant hero but takes up the mantle puts the world on his shoulders and, and bears the burden you know kind of like what he did with batman so I, I really dug christian bale's performance in this i i will say it was a bit reserved i was expecting not for him to be very outlandish or, or very you know in your face with this character but it was a very reserved performance it was a very quiet performance which maybe that's what the performance called for maybe that's what the director called for but that's the one thing it was it was a very reserved performance now on the other hand you had harry melling who i i was like why do i recognize him and for those of you who are not familiar with Harry Melling, by name, he played the Dudley Dursley character from the Harry Potter films. And as soon as I realized that, I was like, oh my God, that is why. I mean, he looks nothing like he did when he was a kid in those Harry Potter films. And I haven't really watched uh, much with him in it since then. Uh, so I haven't seen some of his uh, later roles where he has grown up. And like I said, he's not the uh, the Dudley Dursley character we remember from, from back in the early 2000s uh, in Harry Potter. But he plays Edgar Allan Poe. And he plays Edgar Allan Poe, I think, a little better than what we saw in Raven's Hollow. I think it was a little more accurate to what Edgar Allan Poe was. He was a short awkward man but he was very charismatic and in spite of his looks he had a way with the ladies because he was he was funny he was charismatic uh, maybe even a bit gregarious but uh, Harry Melling really 
brought that out and he he played Edgar Allan Poe much like I uh, I imagine Edgar Allan Poe would be com- you know compared to the things I've read about Edgar Allan Poe and how he was in his real life so that I really liked uh, the <laughs> the very thick Virginian accent that Harry Melling used uh, was a bit awkward at times and and I don't know how close that is to how Edgar Allan Poe spoke in real life. I mean, he did grow up essentially in Virginia, even though he was born in the New England states. He he, after he went to stay with the Allen family, he was in Virginia for the for the better part of his life. So he, it, you know, it's it's not much to say that he probably would have developed possibly a, a Virginian accent. Uh, although, like I said, Harry Melling's Virginian accent, quite thick in this, but he is just very outgoing and charismatic and and really pops on the screen as a character, which I, I really enjoyed. And he, he played that kind of, I know I'm awkward, but I don't care. I can recite limericks. I can recite love poems. I can woo the ladies. I can make the men laugh. It's kind of one of those uh, things, uh, the Ric Flairisms. All the ladies want to be with me. All the men want to be me sort of situations. And I, I really enjoyed Harry Melling's performance. Again, the accent was a little, little hard at times because it was just so thick. But all in all... Uh, I thought he played the the role quite well. Uh, some of the other actors in this, Simon McBurney plays uh, Captain Hancock. He's kind of one of the one of the leaders of West Point that calls uh, Landor in to to do this investigation. While he knows Landor is a good detective, good investigator, he understands his drinking problem and has reservations. There is Timothy Spall who plays Superintendent there. Uh, two fantastic actors, uh, McBurney and Spall. Uh, he's he's the one that wants this case solved because it's going to tarnish West Point's reputation and the government's trying to shut West Point down. They try to create some urgency for this investigation to be solved with that. I just don't think it really works. You really don't get any need for this to be solved in a timely manner other than that. Uh, it's not like somebody's life is at stake or the the eminent threat of somebody else being killed is at hand, uh, even though other people do get killed after the fact. But that's one of the things this thing lacked is the fact that there was just no urgency uh, for the story. And there's no reason to, oh, they've got to figure this out now or something's going to happen other than the reputation of West Point being besmirched and them shutting it down, the government shutting it down. Now, Toby Jones plays Dr. Daniel Marquez, and Toby Jones is always fantastic in in pretty much everything he's in. He's such a great character actor. He always kind of reminds me of a quirkier Ian Holm. You know, he is a shorter actor, but you never know it by the size of his performance. You know, Ian, Ian Holm was such a fantastic stage actor, and usually stage actors are are, are taller, but, you know, he's such a short guy. Uh, you would never know he was, he, he seemed like a giant on the stage just because of the the strength of his performance. And, and Toby Jones is, is kind of like that for me. But he is the doctor who's performed the autopsies on the, the dead body. And we really, his, his only character plot point in this is one to introduce Landor and Poe to his family and 
to really give us some exposition towards the end as we get to the last maybe half hour, 20 minutes of the movie where the action really picks up. But any scene Toby Jones is in, he does a, a fantastic job. Harry Lottie plays his his son, Artemis Marquez, kind of a very cocky cadet. You almost wonder at times if he has some some play in the murders as to the either knowing what's going on or being responsible for it. Kind of a red herring throughout this story. Lucy Boynton plays Leah Marquez, who is a bit of a love interest in this for Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, in the book, I know it's played a little different because uh, Leah not only is a love interest for Edgar Allan Poe, but I think uh, Landor actually has designs on her as well. We also find out that uh, Leah is is sick. She has some sort of sickness. Uh, it almost comes across as tuberculosis at first, uh, but I don't know as if they ever actually say what her illness is. Then Gillian Anderson plays Julia Marquez. She is the mother of Leah and Artemis and the uh, the wife of Daniel. It's a very odd performance from Gillian Anderson. Uh, I, I almost didn't even recognize her at first. And her vocal delivery is so bizarre uh, that, yeah, I, I, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. She is in this. And that is who she is playing. It was it was a little. I know my wife. We watched this together and she just did not like Gillian Anderson's performance. I, I didn't mind it. It added to the bizarreness of the whole story, but it was an odd vocal choice for her. It almost like when she played Mrs. Havisham in that uh, adaptation of Great Expectations. It was really weird. And then there was a surprise cameo, a couple surprise cameos, uh, one a little bigger than others. Uh, Robert Duvall played Jean Pepe, uh, who was a professor that Landor went to to ask uh, questions and and get answers from. Uh, he was only in a couple scenes, but I always love seeing Robert Duvall. He's just a fantastic actor. And just seeing him on the screen, even a little bit, even though I know the character's name is a little different in the book. Uh, compared to this this movie, but I, I loved uh, Robert Duvall, even though the character was just there for exposition. Uh, that was fine by me because he he's fantastic on the screen. And then uh, Charlie Tehan played a, a cadet that we see at the beginning of the movie. Uh, of course, you know him from most recently. Uh, he was in Ozark, which is a fantastic series on Netflix. But he was also in I Am Legend, Wayward Pines, Gotham. Uh, it was fun to see him in a brief little scene doing a doing a British accent, which I, <laughs> I hadn't seen him uh, do that before. So that was that uh, was quite fun. But for the bulk of this movie, and, and I will say what I know, I've I've not read the book The Pale Blue Eye, but I but I know of it. I know kind of its plot points. I've I've read a lot about it. So I, I can say though that the movie pretty much goes along with what I understand the book goes along. Although uh, the book is done a little bit different. It's for the most part done as a first person from Augustus Landor's perspective. Uh, you do get a little first person from Edgar Allan Poe, but that's mainly in letters uh, where he's corresponding with uh, Augustus Landor and speaking to him through letters. So you get a little first person from Edgar Allan Poe, but it's it's mainly Landor that we see uh, this movie from. And you get a lot of inner monologues and things like that that you don't really get in this movie, which um, I, I know some people were disappointed in that, that, that love the book. To me, not having read the book, um, maybe voiceovers would have helped 
understand his perspective and his point of view, but I think there was a lot of things that's going on in his head that uh, we don't really need to know. I, I and and granted, this movie was long enough without having a bunch of inner thought monologue scenes. I, I don't think it could have bore the weight of of that on top of all this. But we see this this investigation go on, and it goes on quite slow. That's the one thing I I will say is this is a very long movie, and it's a very slow movie, a slow paced movie. Uh, if you're not willing to have the patience to to go through that and and go through the very slow burn i mean if you're talking about a fuse uh going to a powder keg when you talk about slow burns this fuse is very long it's it's an hour and 40 minutes long plus maybe an hour and 50 minutes long uh because this is a almost a two hour and 10 minute movie so you're you're going to like the last 30 to 20 minutes before any real big action picks up. Uh, so you're seeing this investigation play out. You've got this cadet who was hung, but there's some awkwardness about how he was hung. And then his heart was cut out. There is a, a second cadet killed and and his heart is is taken from him. He's hung and his heart is taken out. And I think it's determined that both hearts were taken out post-mortem. So after the after the person had died, the heart was taken out. And, and it plays into a lot of ritualism. I think that's why Landor and Poe go to the Robert Duvall character, Jean Pepe, uh, because they're looking into the, the occult angles of this. Edgar Allan Poe gets into the secret cadet group uh, that Artemis uh, Marquez is kind of the leader of, and that's how they get involved with the family because they think he is at the root of this, and they think this group that he is a part of, it has some ties to that. The cadets that were killed were a part of this group. And that's when he, he falls for Leah. And there's an interesting angle that they didn't really play too much in because uh, Edgar Allan Poe speaks of having visions of his dead mother uh, coming to him, essentially feeding him poetry, uh, original poems that that he recites in various moments throughout the movie. Uh, they didn't really play into that as much as I thought they might, and it didn't really have as much bearing as I thought it might. But some of the poetry was interesting because, like I said earlier, it really played into some of the things that we'll see Edgar Allan Poe write later on down the line. References to The Pale Blue Eye, which is from A Telltale Heart. Uh, references to Lenore, which I believe that was the Raven. And I'm sure there are plenty of other lines in there that tie into other Edgar Allan Poe works. Uh, so that was kind of interesting, but there again... It almost felt like a, a way to work in some of Edgar Allan Poe's poetry and some of his prose and never really any reason for it other than that because it never really played into anything more. I mean, they played it almost like premonitions because he drew comparisons to what was going on with what uh, his dead mother had recited to him. But there again, like I said, it only went so far and I, I really kind of wish that they would have taken that a little bit further. Uh, I know it's probably not in the book. And from what I understand, Scott Cooper was fairly uh, faithful to this book and what it did. All, almost to a fault, I think, in, in some regards, especially with the length and just going plot point by plot point from the book. 
But the whole investigation really kind of culminates with the with Landor thinking it is Artemis who is the murderer killing cadets at West Point. And that's when we get to the the scene with him and Toby Jones where Toby Jones really kind of uh, lays out who the killers are, who who we think the killers are, and and talks about his sick daughter who is just trying to find a way to cure herself and that He's a doctor and none of the science and medicine that he has uh, prescribed has done anything. So they went to more occult and satanic practices to try and find a way to cure his daughter, Leah. And we find out that the hearts taken from the cadets were used in these endeavors. It's at this point that Leah and Artemis, and and we find out the mother, Julia, have essentially kidnapped Edgar Allan Poe and are going to take his heart. It plays out a little different in the book because Leah eggs Edgar Allan Poe on. Maybe she does have feelings for him to a degree, but she eggs him on in the movie because she needs his heart to help with this ritual to cure her in the book it's because she needs the blood of a virgin and uh, so yeah I, I i see why they did it a little different it doesn't play with the heart thing if you do it the way the book did and i think they wanted to keep things consistent uh, but landor shows up there's a big showdown a fire starts and artemis and leah are crushed under our burning beams and we think oh the day is well maybe not saved it is a tragic ending for these these two young people but uh the bad guys got their comeuppance and the the good guys are, are safe edgar Allan poe is rescued uh julie is pulled from the the burning mill but it's not until the end of the movie that we see that last scene with Edgar Allan Poe and Augustus Landor, where Poe realizes that a piece of evidence that he thought he had figured out, Landor's like, no, this is what it means. And Poe realized that he lied to him to throw him off the scent. And Poe really figures out this clue to find out that maybe Artemis and Leah weren't the killers. And then we get this whole reveal that Landor's daughter didn't run away. Uh, she had been raped earlier by some cadets, three cadets. Two of the cadets that died were two of the cadets that raped his daughter. Another third cadet, who everyone figured would be next on the list, ran away. But we get the revelation that uh, Landor's daughter was raped. She killed herself in his anguish and his pain. He s sought revenge and ended up killing the first cadet, hanging him, and essentially being called to solve the murder the very next day. He also killed the second cadet, and it was only by happenstance that Artemis and Leah took the heart from the first cadaver, and Landor uh, took the heart out of the second cadaver to, to make it look consistent with the first one to throw everyone off the scent. But Artemis and Leah took the heart from the first cadaver uh, for part of their ritual. And never actually killed anyone. It wasn't until they were going to kill Edgar Allan Poe that they were actually going to commit a murder. Which, even though they didn't commit a murder, they were about to. And as much as Edgar Allan Poe thought uh, Leah and, and Artemis were were innocently killed, they they were they were going to kill him. So I, I don't know uh, where things lie there, but but it was kind of a big reveal that uh, that Landor was the killer the whole time, and, and Edgar Allan Poe felt a kinship with Landor. 
and understood his grief and his pain. You know, Poe has been dealing with the pain of losing his mother and can understand the dark places that a body will go to. And Landor has, has lost his wife, not only his wife, but his daughter and lost his daughter tragically. And so Poe lets him go without telling the authorities. And there's a really interesting scene where Landor at the very end, he goes to the cliff that his daughter jumped off of to kill herself and turns his back to it and, and spreads his arms out. Jesus Christ pose style and has a ribbon of hers in his hand and he he lets it go and then says as much that he, he he's letting her go and you almost wonder if he is gonna jump and kill himself or walk away you don't know because they fade to black and you're left wondering uh, what the fate of Augustus Landor was it was actually really quite a, a beautiful ending to the movie. So ultimately, I really liked this movie. There was a lot to like about it. The cast was just fantastic and stunning. It was a wonderful cast full of, of great actors, great character actors who really looked the part, felt the part. Some of the best scenes in the movie were those scenes where Edgar Allan Poe and Landor are are discussing things or, or just having a conversation, especially the scenes where they're in the pub and they're, they're just sitting there talking and building rapport and building their friendship. I thought Melling and Bale did a, a great job in portraying that aspect of this relationship between these two characters. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Their, their back and forth, their dialogue was probably some of the, some of the best scenes in the movie. I also liked the, the look of the movie was spectacular. Some of the shots were just captivating and stunning. The cinematography was just out of this world. Uh, you had this snowy landscape with just so many of these beautiful shots. There was this overhead shot of the forest with all these dead trees looking like, uh, you know, dots on the screen. Uh, I know Scott Cooper loves those overhead shots. I think he had some of those in Antlers as well. Uh, but they just look stunning in this winter landscape with like I said all the dead trees the leaves off the trees and, and these these little sticks dotting the the landscape below was just stunning some of the, the winter scenes with the the river and everything were just beautiful and, and the locations were, were fantastic the compass in museum was a a big spot in the the pale blue eye i think their blacksmith shop served as the tavern mcconnell's mill at mcconnell's mill state park that was the uh, very prominently featured in this movie the mill where this this big finale happens uh, takes place in that the shots along slippery rock creek were were just stunning and beautiful to watch uh the mcconnell's mill covered bridge i know there's some people bitching that that style of covered bridge didn't fit the time period but hey it's it's still it looks beautiful uh of course the shots at westminster college which served as a surrogate for west point uh, i liked uh, how like i could recognize these buildings they covered up sidewalks with dirt making dirt paths uh they had to digitally take out some of the more modern buildings but uh the quad area you, you got to see some of the old architecture which was again just stunning uh, moraine state park there was a lot filmed there just like i said a, a lot of beautiful locations beautifully shot especially when done in winter and you've got that snow on the on the ground and in the trees just 
it, it had a cold feel to it. Uh, you know, I sat there in the movie theater. I wanted to cover up with a blanket because everything kind of had that blue hue and you could kind of hear the wind whistling in the background of every shot, whether it's indoors or outdoors. Uh, it just, it felt cold. It felt like wintertime in Northwestern Pennsylvania, even though this is supposed to be in Virginia, but, uh, the, the interiors were, were so well lit. You had the, the juxtaposition of the cold outside and the warm firelight and candlelight of the inside just like i said some beautifully shot scenes in this was just a wonder to watch and really loved that aspect of it as well the only thing i really didn't like about this movie was the length i think it was just a little bit too long they drug it out a little too much for not having a ton of action sequences and and you don't want a ton of action sequences in this i'm not saying that there should have been a ton of action sequences but with the lack of action you just really it, it made it my wife ended up nodding off a few times during the movie i was a trooper and and carried on through it without closing an eye but but she didn't make it all the way through without uh missing a few scenes but that was because it was just it was a very slow moving long slow burn that didn't have a lot of action and it was like i said really long 100 well 128 minutes and you can't have a movie that slow moving go on for that long without without something to to pique your interest and get you reinvested in this like i said there was no urgency for them to solve this case so i, I think that's why it just felt like a drug on even longer because it's like well okay if he doesn't solve it today I'll just do it tomorrow uh you had the the fake urgency of West Point being shut down, but why do I care if West Point shut down in this movie? Uh, I didn't care about any of the people who were killed because they ultimately weren't good people. They were the ones that raped uh, Landor's daughter. So I didn't want to care about them, but I wanted to care about something. I wanted to care about somebody I liked in this movie uh, having harm befall them. I knew it wasn't going to be Edgar Allan Poe because he goes on to, to write some of the world's best horror. I knew he wasn't going to die. So I, there just really wasn't any reason for me to worry about anyone. And there was no urgency for this case to be solved. And like I said, given the fact that it was such a long movie, it just made a long movie feel even longer. That's my only comment on that. That's my only critique on the movie. Other than that, it was brilliant, beautiful, so well acted. Like I said, Christian Bale's performance was great. While reserved, it was great. Uh, you know, a, a man whose daughter has died and he is becoming murderer to avenge her. Uh, that kind of man is not going to be out there, you know, yelling at the top of his lungs like Billy B. Frigged and, and drawing a lot of attention to himself. So I understand the reserved performance. I understand the reservation in the character. Really, Edgar Allan Poe was the only thing that popped on the screen as far as acting. And even that sometimes felt slightly over the top. But uh, but the performances were wonderful. The, the cinematography was wonderful. I thought it was well-directed. Even though it was long, it was well-directed and a beautiful film to watch. I know it doesn't lean into the horror that I thought it would lean into. And I've seen some articles referring to The Pale Blue Eye as Netflix's best horror film. I don't know if... I mean, it does lean into some horror elements with this. Uh, you do get some spooky 
foggy, misty, dark scenes where people are only silhouettes and, and there is some creepiness to it. Uh, when they dive into the occult and the satanic rituals, there is some creepiness to it. Uh, there is a little bit of gore when you have, you know, guys' chest being uh, opened up so you can see that the heart's been taken out and, and hearts lying here and there. It does have a little tiny bit of a gore factor. Uh, even the supernatural elements with Edgar Allan Poe having visions of his mother kind of lean into the horror, but I just don't think it leans into horror enough. I'm kind of hesitant. I am doing this as a, a horror entry into my horror fantasy and science fiction genre podcast, but it, it only borders on horror. I think it really could have... Uh, stood to, to dive a little more into that or lean a little more into uh, some of the supernatural elements of this. And I think it could have been, for me, considered more of a horror story. Right now, it only flirts with it. But there again, like I said, ultimately a, a beautiful film to watch and an interesting film to watch. And the the relationship between Bale and Melling as Landor and Poe is something special to watch on the screen. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts on the new movie on Netflix, The Pale Blue Eye, kind of a historical fiction about Edgar Allan Poe. And while it is long, uh, it is worth the watch. I think just from the cinematography standpoint, an acting standpoint, a story standpoint, I think it is worth the two hours plus that you're going to sit and watch this because it is ultimately uh, an interesting story and a good story. And you might want to take a no-dose or maybe a Jolt Cola before you, you watch this so you can stay awake. But I think you're going to enjoy it all in all when it's all said and done. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on The Pale Blue Eye. Check it out now on Netflix. And don't forget to check out Odds Bondkin's Curiosity Shop on Facebook where we're posting uh, trailers to latest films and series out there. Always Throwing up uh, articles I find from all over the internet about horror, fantasy, and science fiction, adding my two cents as well. You can also find us on Instagram. And no matter where you're listening to this podcast, please uh, subscribe to it, like it, follow it, whatever you have to do. Please share it with anyone you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. Download it, all that good stuff. And also, please leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, but whatever review you leave, it helps get the word out about this podcast. So please do that. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!